0: I often wonder how our previous guests are doing and so today we revisit three of them. Pascal Fanet talks to us about how his company, B Radical, is doing during the COVID-19 crisis and a few things that he is thinking about at the moment. Next, Dr. Tiffany Vora tells us how she's doing during lockdown. her thinking around COVID-19 and what's next and how the development of the vaccine is going. Last but not least, I talked to Renz Tavada about his company, Chemo, and also his involvement with the G20. Welcome to the Exponential Organization Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The world is changing at an exceptional rate. Companies need to not only continue to innovate, but also grow exponentially to keep up. This podcast will introduce you to the principles of exponential growth and how you can adopt them into your business. This show is sponsored by Ideastorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. They can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 4,500 consultants through OpenEXO, through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So visit www.ideastorm.ca.za to find out more. Today, I feature not just one guest, but three. The first is Pascal Finette. Pascal was interviewed on the of March and is the co-founder at Be Radical. He's also the Singularity's Chair of Entrepreneurship and Open Innovation. He tells us how his company, Be Radical, is doing during the COVID-19 crisis and things that he is thinking about at the moment. So here is Pascal Finette.
1: So here at Be Radical, what we do is we help organizations and we really focus on what we call entrepreneur-led organizations. So typically, medium to large-scale organizations, which are either still run by the founder um, or very often run by a family and or run by an executive, but very entrepreneurial. So very much driven by an entrepreneurial spirit, but also the idea that you actually think about organizations not in quarterly terms, but really in longer uh, time horizons. So we help those organizations with the topic and the the subject of change um, as it is brought about by exponentially accelerating technologies and all the changes which come with that. Most of our work has been pre-COVID with clients at client sites. We did a lot of keynotes. We do a lot of learning and development with clients, where we take the executive team and uh, the leadership team on learning journeys to really help them change their mindset and educate them and give them tools and frameworks to make sense of this emerging and unfolding world. Now, you can imagine that is gone. I used to fly 250,000 miles a year. I haven't stepped on a plane, of course, uh, since March here in the United States since we have the lockdown. So we have really shifted all our programs and delivery uh, into an online world. And we find this actually really exciting because it's something we have been doing for quite a while pre-COVID, but never really found the time to really sit down, knuckle down and work out the little kinks you have and do a ton of experiments around this. So we are super excited about actually a world where we probably will not fly 250,000 miles a year anymore, um, where we can deliver many of our um, programs and experiences in a live online format augmented with asynchronous online learning uh, courseware. Um, so we are digging really deep into this and are super, super, super stoked about this. And I actually think that um, we will get out of this probably better than we walked into it as. It really is, in a lot of ways, a really interesting reset for us, um, which allows us to do the things we wanted to do for a long time. So looking at the world through the lens of a before-COVID and after-COVID period, uh, something the New York Times uh, coined AC and BC, after-COVID and before-COVID, I am particularly interested in looking at what are the weak signals we're currently seeing which are emerging through COVID, either completely new behaviors, things we're doing, um, business models which emerge, etc., and or behaviors which have been on the horizon for a really long time um, but have been accelerated massively through COVID. Um, We call this the COVID bump. A good example, of course, is remote work. Um, Distributed teams is something which has been around for a long time, of course, and, you know, a decent amount of companies offer remote work agreements uh, and arrangements. But now, of course, everybody is thrust into remote work. So everybody is remote by default because we have to work from home. And the interesting question for me becomes, uh, which of these changes will have residue? Which of those changes will stay with us? And in which form? And what does this mean? i give you an interesting example around uh, remote work. If you think about the, the implications of that, um, on things like office space, for example. I read this interview with an <clears throat> office space manager uh, who said that if you take something like Salesforce Tower, which I believe is a 68 or 69-floor uh, tower in San Francisco, tallest building in San Francisco, if you take that and you think how long it takes to only fill the building given current restrictions we have on social distancing, which quite frankly will be with us for quite a while, it takes literally hours and hours to get everybody into this building. Thus, the whole building becomes essentially useless. And I think that's an interesting harbinger of the things which we will see coming out of um, the COVID world. So if you were to ask me, what are the the trends, the things I'm currently looking at, I don't think that there's a singular trend. I look at the meta-trend of... Uh, weak signal spotting and understanding, trying to understand what are the things we're currently seeing in terms of change behaviors, um, change expectations, change norms, change uh, ways of operating, and how will they manifest themselves uh, in the near and the midterm future. Um, So again, remote work being one. Uh, Another one for me really fascinating is food delivery. You know, was like surely a lot of people, particularly in urban environments, had done food delivery before. Now it has become absolutely mainstream and common. Um, digital payments—we uh, used to uh, pay cash and/or credit cards. Uh, now you probably don't feel as comfortable touching a filthy credit card machine anymore in your supermarket of choice. So what we're now seeing is a massive uptick in uh, the likes of Apple Pay and Google Pay. So really fascinating. Uh, things which are happening. And again, the question for me always becomes what is the new norm as this will end, Uh, the COVID thing will end uh, eventually Um, and how do we we reorganize ourselves? Because I do believe that there's massive opportunity for businesses um, and leaders in this new world uh, if you can see what the changes will be and then uh, prepare yourself for it and offer services and products
0: which are actually going along with those changes thank you pascal our next guest is dr tiffany vora who tells us how she's doing during lockdown they're thinking about covid 19 and what's next and then how the development of the vaccine is going here is dr tiffany vora
2: hi i'm dr tiffany vora i'm the vice chair of digital biology and medicine at singularity university And I'm pleased to be with you here again today to give you an update on how I'm doing. I thought I would also share with you the thinking I've been doing around our current situation with COVID-19, as well as how I think things are going to play out in the next months and years. And I thought I'd also share with you an update on those vaccine and treatments that we've been hearing so much about. So how am I doing? Uh, This is week eight of California's shelter-in-place order. So that means along with my father, my husband, and my son, we've been working and doing school from home for eight weeks now. And, you know, honestly, things could be a lot harder for us. We're really quite fortunate. Uh, All of us are healthy, which I'm really, really grateful for. And we're managing to balance our work and our schooling. The balance isn't perfect, but I think overall we're doing fairly well. Also, we're moving into spring here in California, so we're getting plenty of exercise, we're focusing on eating healthy food, and we're trying to find moments in every day to be grateful for the time that we have to be together. Uh, This is the first time, I think in about 15 years, that my husband and I have each gone this long without traveling. It's a real different from the way our lifestyle used to be, and we're finding there are things that we really like about it. We're also looking to find ways to give back to our communities for folks who aren't quite as lucky as we are. And frankly, one of the things that has moved me the most during this whole COVID-19 disaster playing out around the world is how I've seen people coming together using digital tools in order to collaborate and to work together and to find solutions. Whether it's folks who are sewing masks in their homes to give away to healthcare workers, whether it's maker spaces that are 3D printing face masks for healthcare workers day and night, I've even seen really cool online communities where scientists are volunteering their time and their resources in order to help the fight against COVID-19. Now, I'm a scientist, so I know scientists never have enough time, we never have enough money, and yet I'm seeing this upswell from all over the world where people, scientists, are volunteering their time, their money, their resources, and their labs, and I think that's really spectacular. So how are things going with the COVID-19 outbreak and what do I think is gonna happen next? So what we're seeing right now is many governments in the West are starting to move into a transition plan where they're looking to see how to get out of these strict economic and social and um, public lockdowns that we've been facing and move into another set of regulations that should allow the economy to recover a bit, help people get back to work, but still be making really hard decisions and balances between health and the economy. So we're seeing a lot of these transition plans around the world. The ones that I think are the best plans are the ones that have clear stages and paths between them. I get worried when I see governments claiming that they're just going to open everything up and everything is going to be fine. I think this virus has shown us through its biology, through its infectivity, through its ability to kill people who don't seem to be at risk, uh, that we really need to have a nuanced response to this virus. So I'm looking for plans that have very clear stages that have very clear paths between them and that also have some kind of daily reporting on whether benchmarks are being met. And this is something that I think is really important. Transparency and trust is really, really important. I've spent quite a few years now talking about how trust is one of the most valuable commodities that there are out there. And when I see governments working to earn and then to maintain their citizens' trusts, I get really excited about that. So let me give you an example of a transition plan that I'm familiar with, that I actually think is a pretty good place to start. And that's California's transition plan. So our governor, Gavin Newsom, last week put out a a very clear plan that has four stages of increasing stringency or decreasing stringency in response to COVID-19. So our shelter in place order here in California has been stage one, and we've been in that stage for eight weeks now. And now we're moving towards stage two, which is allowing more businesses to be open. Now, they have put out a series of benchmarks for us around testing, contact tracing, and isolating. And those also are being meant to go for the goals of protecting people who are at high risk. We want to make sure we're protecting our healthcare system's capacity. We're still continuing to develop therapies, which I'll tell you about a bit more in a minute. But also there are still um, mandates around distancing in businesses and schools. To date, the best tool that we have against this virus is distancing. Keeping that one to two meter distance uh, between you and other people outside your home at all times, wearing masks and using a lot of hygiene, like lots of uh, hand washing with soap and water. Also, the thing that I like about California's plan is that there's also built into the plan an an awareness of and benchmarks for when you need to dial back into stricter regulations. Personally, what I think we're going to see is a lifting and a, and a, a putting back down of releases and restrictions in various levels of stringency depending on what's going on in a local area. So I think we're going to be seeing a patchwork of changes happening in different regions within countries and between countries in order to be dynamic and a just-in-time response to what's going on in the ground and I think that's pretty smart. Now it might feel frustrating for you as a citizen feeling like when you wake up in the morning, you don't know what the plan is going to be. But remember the alternative, which we don't want, would be making a plan and sticking to it even if we see the plan isn't working. So I love these data heavy analyses, I love benchmarks that are moving in both directions, and I love the ability of governments and citizens to acknowledge that at any given moment we are working with imperfect information. And as we get more information, we're able to make better and better decisions. And remember, overall, all of these things, all of these regulations, all of these strategies have three big goals. To save people's lives, to return to public life, and to keep the economy functioning. And in order to do that, around the world, we're seeing five big strategies for achieving those goals. And those five big strategies are treatments, virus testing, antibody testing, preventing the spread of the disease, and distancing measures. And uh, last week, I actually published an article in Singularity Hub where I went into all five of these areas and looked at a few timelines for how I think things are going to play out. But what uh, so please go go check out my article. Uh, it's there for you. It's free. But there are three big mindset shifts that I shared in that article and that I want to share with you today that I think are going to be really important for successfully navigating the future when there's so much uncertainty around both the biology and around the economics of this disease. The first big mindset shift is I want you to remember that defeating COVID is a marathon and not a sprint. We are not going to be going back to normal, 2019 normal. In fact, we have a new normal, it's going to be a new normal, and it's going to be one that we get to define together, but it's going to take a while to be there. And so that leads me to the second important mindset shift, which is I need you to remember that you have important things that you have to be doing for at least a year. Maybe it's wearing masks, maybe it's working from home, maybe it's social distancing, maybe it's when we get good tests, testing your family for the virus and for antibodies on an ongoing basis, and it's going to be sharing your data in ways that hopefully respect your privacy while still contributing to the greater public good. So you have important things to do for at least a year. And while I'm asking you to remain strong, I also want you to remember the third big point, which is that we're all in this together. The virus doesn't care about your politics the virus doesn't care about your geographical borders we are fighting this as a species and as a global community and you are an important point of that uh, global community so being prepared for a new normal is really important because exiting lockdown isn't going to be a one-and-done event it's a process and it's a complex process that's going to need us to constantly and dynamically make trade-offs manage our fears, and also earn and maintain trust. Now here I'm talking about trust again. That's trust between individuals, trust with your government, and also trust with your healthcare authorities. And it's not just a matter of you trusting these authorities. They have to earn your trust and then keep it. And I think this is a really, really important consideration. And finally, I want to leave you with an update on treatments and vaccines in a way that I think gives us something to be optimistic about. So, according to the Milken Institute's COVID-19 tracker, right now there are at least 203 treatments and 123 vaccines under development around the world. Now, let's talk about vaccines in particular. Some of these are being developed from scratch, some of them are being repurposed from other diseases, that's also true of treatments, And some of the vaccines that are being developed are based on really clever synthetic platforms that maybe have a chance to accelerate what's normally a very long and very fraught timeline for vaccine development. Now, the big question on everybody's lips is, when are we going to see vaccines? And here's what I think, based on how vaccine development has worked before. I think it is likely that it will be 18 months before we see safe and effective vaccines become available. Why so long? So first of all, vaccine development is really hard. It takes about 18 months for the seasonal flu vaccine to be developed every year. But it's not just a matter of developing the vaccine. You have to make sure that it actually works, that it's efficacious, and you have to make sure that it's safe, that it doesn't make a person sicker or sick in a different way than the disease you're trying to fight. And the truth is, proving safety and efficacy takes time and it takes data. And I think those are data that we need to be willing to wait for. Now, on the other hand, I think it's possible that some vaccines are going to be available to people like healthcare workers much sooner. And then we'll be using those healthcare workers as part of our data gathering efforts to determine whether these vaccines are safe and efficacious. But no matter what, no matter what you see in the news, no matter what you see online, I really want to encourage you to be pragmatic and remember that it's unlikely that we're going to be seeing a vaccine in 2020 and maybe not even until the back end of 2021. But that is not necessarily a bad thing because we need things to be safe and effective. And remember, that's what science is all about, giving us advances that are safe and effective for as many people as possible. So what I want to leave you with is this moment of hope. Remember, science is our exit strategy. As you're trying to navigate this uncertain world, try to focus on reputable and science-based information. Okay, if it sounds like someone is trying to sell you an herbal remedy that sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Right now, there are no known treatments for COVID or its symptoms, certainly not ones that you can buy over the counter or in a drugstore. And remember, do not drink bleaching products, bleach, cleaning products, any of these other things, no matter who says it, no matter who they're the president of what country, don't drink bleach and watch your alcohol intake. Those things will not keep you safe. The WHO has a great website where they are debunking a lot of these myths If you hear it online, it doesn't mean it's true. Go check it out with your health authorities. Also, during using science as our exit strategy, remember to stay alert and responsive. And here's the part that I'm most excited about. This is a really difficult moment in human history. And we are being given the moment to change the way things were and to determine how we want things to be. So even though I know you're feeling a lot of fear and anxiety and uncertainty, I want to encourage you to grab this moment to build the new normal, not just for you, not just for your family, but for our whole world. And I'm right there with you. Thanks very much. Stay healthy. And don't forget to wash your hands.
0: Thank you, Tiffany. Last but not least, I talked to Renz Tavada about his company, Chemo, and also involvement with the G20. All right, so now we welcome Renz to the podcast. And in the past, I had an absolutely wonderful conversation, with, which I hope you enjoyed, around Purpose Plus and Purpose. And then we started to talk about his other venture, Kimo, uh, and what his work is in the G20. And so I've often thought of Renz and thought of you know, how his company is doing and how the G20 is doing. So I'm really thankful that he's joined for a quick update, and I hope you'll listen to and also enjoy this update. Welcome, Renz. Thanks, Lars. My pleasure. Um, so first, your your venture, Kimo. Um, How's it going? Uh, yeah, that, that is a that is a good question in these days. So I would say
3: it's it's regardless of the circumstances, it's going quite well. Um, and with that, I mean that the AI models uh, at the back end are becoming better and better. Uh, obviously, that is happening at the time when uh, when the cash balance in the bank is uh, declining rapidly and where. Um, talking to new investors is uh, increasingly difficult. Sure. Uh, but, but R- remind often...
0: us what it does again,
3: Chemo? Chemo is a, is a virtual learning assistant. So that means that it, it saves a lot of uh, frustration when you're trying to learn stuff online. Uh, let's say you go to Chemo and you want to learn AI and you come from a medical background, then Chemo would know, know all those things and it would give you exactly the right content uh, for you based on the difficulty level that you need, etc um for the specific industry you're in so it's uh, pre-selecting all the stuff and it, it's, it does that in a really friendly way where you can talk to it uh, or video chat to it
0: we were speaking briefly about a new um, product and service that you're just about to go to market with yeah so so Kimo has
3: uh, let's say there's a couple of uh, major features but but one is this this uh, instant search for materials for learning materials. Uh, another one is, is the fact that it, it can store all your notes instantly. So regardless of you, uh, whether you read it on your phone, or you actually uh, make a highlight in a book and make a picture of that, or uh, you make a highlight in the browser, uh, Kimo will store all those notes and you can recall them at any time uh, just by asking for it right, to the uh, AI. So that first version of the product where it can give you the learning recommendations and it, uh, it can help you with your notes, that version will be ready in the next uh, week for testing so i have 100 people uh, testing it and, and giving us feedback and probably end of this uh, month or so it will go live for the public yeah yeah so the more advanced feature of of chemo and it's something i'm um, i'm really proud of it, it's a bit of an uh, um, inside story of, of how complex that really is but you have the option as a user to to actually video chat with chemo which means it, it feels like you're you're having a skype call with someone but it, In this case, on the other end, there is an AI um, that understands your language and also is able to see you real-time and and, and sort of understands what it's seeing. So it will know your age, it will know um, uh, know, your your emotions, um, the sentiment you show in in the responses, uh, objects Mm. that you hold, uh, gender, etc. And that's all happening real-time. So that means that for every second, we collect 60 frames. Um, they are sent to our Google Cloud, where the algorithms are actually running. Um, there's a couple of billion computations happening in, in the cloud, and then everything is sent back. Uh, and that all has to happen within, well, what's the time for uh, that we perceive as real time? So it probably has to happen within uh, 0.02 seconds or so. Uh, and yeah. then, it, for us as human beings, it feels
0: like we're having a real-time chat with an AI. And uh, what is the website again? It's www.chemo.ai, hey? Yeah, that's correct. And what are the plans for the next uh, couple of months with Chemo? Well, the, the, the first plan is...
3: <laughs> <laughs> a pain, painful question, Lon, because I'm oh, sorry.
0: First plan, of course, is to, uh,
3: to make sure that we can actually launch with the right marketing team. And, and for that, we still need to raise some, some capital. Okay. Uh, and, then, of course, in, in COVID times, it's a bit... Um, it's a bit harder uh, but i think what what you'll see coming out of chemo is, is a couple more demos in the, in the next weeks and then over the summer the real life of, of the real um uh, launch of the product uh, in, in the full form together with all the partners right because partners are companies like udemy and coursera and udacity ah. uh, so then, then the
0: real thing will uh, really come to life Um so ren's during the, the COVID-19 crisis that we're all experiencing, what are the challenges that you've, you've experienced um, for chemo and yourself and then also um, the G20, which we'll get onto now? Well, um, I live in the Netherlands, right, and, and as, as you may know, in the
3: Netherlands, we have something that we, um, we like to call the intelligent lockdown. Um, the, there is not a lot of Uh, intelligence behind it it's very similar to a lot of other countries but it's relatively flexible in the sense that for for me personally i can still drive around um, and i feel like sort of locked in but not completely Mm. Uh, when it comes to the g20 um, most of the physical meetings uh, are all canceled or actually all of them in the last two months Mm. Uh, so that means that there there is some progress uh, at times but it's relatively minor Uh, There was some major progress on uh, emerging economies and debt they hold towards uh, rich countries, which uh, is now seen in in more flexible light. That was positive. Uh, There's also great work done um, when it comes to the COVID um, uh, implementation of, for example, vaccines, uh, and a budget that was freed up for that, which is roughly 5 billion. So so a couple of big decisions uh, have been going on, but, but if you look at all the other topics, um, also, for example, with regards to climate change, like obviously COVID um, is, is changing the schedule for everybody.
0: And when was it supposed to happen in Saudi Arabia? It was later this year, wasn't it?
3: Well, you know, the G20 is, is a funny thing that most people uh, well, sort of think about the G20 as in a single summit, right? So that mm-hmm. would happen in November. November. Uh, in reality, it's actually very different. In reality, it happen, happens all throughout the year. It's yeah. um, a lot of uh, smaller summits that are uh, function specific. So, for example, there, there's a finance group and there's an agriculture and, and climate group, right? So, so these ministers will come together um, either directly or via their vice ministers and, and subteams. And actually, most of the work gets done in those first summits that no one knows about, and then the final summit in November is technically a place, uh, you know, where, where leaders shake hands and everything is already done. So I would say well, it's happening throughout hands, the whole year. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: <laughs> not not anymore. <laughs> not shaking hands anymore. Uh, no, um, not not an here. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you were involved on the environmental side, if I'm if I remember.
3: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and um, they, of course, you know, the, the the ministry that in this case I work for is, is doing both agriculture uh, as well as environment and water. Okay. Uh, so there's a couple of interrelated topics. Uh, but yes, it is the it's the, um, the environment environmental side sure. of things, and I strongly believe, uh, of course, uh, that that is the uh, probably the most interesting sub- subject for the coming years.
0: Mm, no, definitely. And are you you still very involved in that?
3: Uh, partly, I, I still work for the ministry. Uh, the G20 now, of course, is less relevant because the the meetings are not happening. But but yes, I'm involved in the ministry there, and and we're trying to shape a couple of things that I cannot fully tell you, but but I will definitely do once we get the green light. Wow. Uh, but we were trying to reframe COVID as a time where we can really sort of recoil and uh, and really come out with something very strong once it is over. But that's. Um, for now, that has to be hidden, but as soon
0: as I can tell you more, I will. Super, thank you so much. Uh, and so, listener, if you wanna follow Renz, just link up with him on LinkedIn. I'll have the LinkedIn, uh, his LinkedIn um, details on the show notes. He posts quite regularly on LinkedIn, so you can see how chemo is going. Um, and then, I don't know if you have a post on the G20, I haven't seen that, but anyway. Nope. Um, but it's been a <laughs> pleasure to talk to you again, Renz. <laughs> Likewise, uh, thanks, Lance. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed revisiting three guests from previous podcasts. I'll have all their details in the show notes. If you'd like to contact me, Lance Pepler, then please do so by emailing lance at or visit www.ideastorm.ca.za. Until next week, goodbye.